Turn your Bible, please, to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. And we're going to uh, look at both Isaiah and Jeremiah tonight as we think of the theme, My People Loved to Have It Sold. May we pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the wonderful privilege of being in the house of God. We're so grateful for the spiritual refreshment we've received this past week, the wonderful uh, dynamic preaching, the great singing, the impact of God's people being together in spiritual unity and power. And now tonight, Lord, we ask you to prepare our hearts to seek the Lord with all our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Saith Williford read a little while ago this passage from Isaiah chapter 1. I want to reread it and then turn to Jeremiah. And if you'll have your finger in Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 30 and 31, beginning with Isaiah. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, the ass his master's crib, but Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. And in Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 30 and 31, an appalling and horrible thing is committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means. And my people love to have it so. And what will ye do in the end of it all? Isaiah and Jeremiah were not contemporaries. Though their books follow one another, perhaps we could look at it in chronological order. Isaiah lived in the 8th century, Jeremiah the 7th century. But their messages were very, very much alike. Isaiah preached to the wickedness and sin of his nation. He was called the court prophet. He was like the Billy Graham of his day. He preached to kings. But Isaiah never flinched in the face of the kings. He had no problem pointing his face, his uh, finger in the face of the king and said, this is not God's plan. This is not God's will. Notice that he meddled in the affairs of government. Let me repeat that. He meddled in the affairs of government. Jeremiah did the same thing. A hundred years later, the scene had not changed. Isaiah had preached and preached and preached his heart out. In a moment, we're going to catalog some of the things he preached about. But there was no national repentance. There was no revival. And Manasseh, who later became the king, so hated Isaiah, tradition says 
He took two trees and bowed them down and tied Isaiah between those trees and then let the trees go. And they took a saw and sawed him in two. Sort of reminds you of what David told us about John Huss this morning. They said, John Huss, you recant and say you don't believe and you will not teach and you will not preach this doctrine of salvation by grace. And he was, he was led to the fire. He said, God being my helper, I cannot change. And he was burned at the stake for what he believed and preached. A hundred years after Isaiah, Jeremiah came along and God called him. He said, well, Lord, I'm just a little child. Nobody would listen. And the Lord said, say not you're a child. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. And I had a plan for you. And I ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. Don't be afraid of their faces. And Jeremiah went out for the next 40 years and preached against the sins of Judah. While Isaiah had preached against the sins of Israel, the northern nation, Jeremiah preached against the sins of Judah, the southern nation, and still no revival. In 722 B.C., the Assyrian hordes came and took the nation Israel, the northern kingdom, into captivity. These are referred to as the ten northern tribes. Apparently, they were never heard from again. They never returned, unless their return has been in 1948 and since, when God is gathering the Jews from all the nations of the world back to their promised land. And perhaps some of the ten tribes are gathering there. It was a horrible scene in Israel when the Assyrian hordes came and by hooks. Amos had preached, ye fat cows of Bashan, speaking of the women who had urged their husbands to drink and to carouse and to live an easy life. And Amos cried out, you fat cows of Bashan, the same way you treated your husbands and the same way you have defiled the hand of God, they will put hooks in your noses and lead you across the desert into captivity. And that happened. And a hundred years later, when Jeremiah preached, almost the same message, crying out against the sins and the wickedness and the evil of God's chosen people. Habakkuk had said, Lord, surely you're more righteous than to let a nation that is more ungodly than we are come and bring judgment on us. God said, Habakkuk, you stand over there on the tower and you just watch. I'm going to work a work that you'll not understand if I told you about it. So you just watch and write the vision, write it clear. And Habakkuk cried out, Oh God, I've heard your speech. And I was afraid. Oh God, revive thy people in the midst of the years. Make known in wrath, remember mercy. 
That was to the southern nation. And that was Jeremiah's message. And he preached and he preached and he preached. And he said, a horrible thing has happened. The prophets prophesy falsely. And the priests serve under that authority. And my people love to have it so. They like it. My people, they like it. And in 585 and 86, <clears throat> the Babylonian hordes came across the desert and surrounded the city of Jerusalem for two years until the people inside were so hungry that they killed and ate their own little children. And the king of Babylon gave Jeremiah the option of going back to Babylon or staying there with those who were going to be left in the land. And Jeremiah decided to stay in the land. But Gedaliah and some of the other wicked men of that nation determined to take Jeremiah down to Egypt. And to Egypt they took him. And tradition says he was killed, maybe tortured by them. Jesus said one day, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that kills the prophets. And they crucified Jesus. And my people love to have it so. Jesus died with the consent of the Jewish leaders of Israel. The people to whom Isaiah had preached, the people to whom Jer Jeremiah had preached, the people to whom he came. He came unto his own and his own received him not. But to those who did receive him, to them he gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And, <clears throat> and they crucified the Lord of glory. Now we face similar times today in America. There has been a planned scheme to convince this nation that God had nothing to do with America. There's a revision of history. And instead of giving us the great heroes like George Washington and Patrick Henry and some of the other great men, <clears throat> they're trying to dig up all the skullduggery and all the filth and all the trash they can get and seldom mentioning any of their, anything about their faith in the Lord God, they bring them down to the level of the street person. And they are robbing today's generation of the great heroes that made America great. And they're trying to say that there is a doctrine of separation of church and state, which they interpret to mean a separation of God from government. And beloved, that's a lie. There's nothing in the Constitution, there's nothing in the Magna Carta, there's nothing in the Declaration of Independence that has anything remotely related to that. The amendment says, Congress shall not make any law favoring or sanctioning or hurting the religious community. 
and the church is not to run the state. That is not a separation of God from government. That simply is a built-in guarantee that will not happen in America what happened in Europe. In England, the Church of England ran the government for years. All across Europe, the Roman Catholic Pope appointed the kings. In Germany, after the Reformation, the Lutheran Church became the state church. And I understand that even today, some of the taxes go to support the Lutheran position in Germany. And in England, the taxes go to support the Church of England. That could never happen in America, but that does not mean separation of God from government. Now I want you to listen in Isaiah. The diagnosis in Isaiah 1-4, all sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. Now in order to forsake somebody, you have to one time been related to him. So obviously these were the people of God. They have forsaken the Lord. Number two, they have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. Number three, they are gone away backward. Now let's examine this for a moment. Number one, they have forsaken the Lord. Look in verse two. Hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. God was good to Israel. There are all kinds of psalms that speak of how good God was, was to Israel. In the same way, God was good to America. Our forefathers left the ancient kings and potentates no longer able to tolerate all the inequity there, and they came here to build a great nation. Little is much when God is in it. And there was just a tiny little group, and they barely survived the first hard winter. And some of them made friends with the Indians. And the work began to grow and grow and grow. David Brainerd, the son-in-law of Jonathan Edwards in the 1740s, went out to preach to the American Indians. He prayed, oh God, give me some entree to their hearts. I don't know their language. I can't get to them, but oh God, save the Indians. And David Brainerd found an old drunk Indian. He took him with him as an interpreter. And that drunk Indian interpreted the gospel message that David Brainerd gave, and hundreds of those Indians got saved. You see how God can do it when there seems to be no way? And God began a pilgrimage across the wilderness, and there was developed on this continent the greatest nation the world has ever known. And our early documents all testify to the fact that they were here to propagate the gospel of Christ. If you read the Magna Carta, you'll read that one of the main reasons for coming to America, and one of the reasons for the granting of the properties was to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was the reason. That's a far cry from what is happening in our nation now. You can say anything, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm for the blacks. Surely by now you know that. 
I'm not a segregationist. I love black people. And they're welcome here. But you dare not say anything against them. We need to be benevolent toward the homosexual group. God don't want us putting them down all the time. He wants to lift them up and teach them that they can recover from that serious perverted illness, that mental strangeness. But you dare not say anything against the homosexuals. You run into government problems. They'll arrest you for mistreating minorities. But you can say anything you want to against Christians. You can mistreat them, vilify them, laugh at them, make jokes about them. And that's exactly what's happening in this nation now. They, and the reason is because God's people have forsaken the Lord. They've rebelled against him. They've rejected his chastening. Look in chapter, look, chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Listen to this. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land, foreigners devour it in your presence. And it is desolate as overthrown by foreigners. And the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in a vineyard, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been like Sodom and we should have been like Gomorrah. I believe the reason that America has not already slouched toward Gomorrah, as Boric wrote, is because there's a nucleus like you who have dared to pray who have dared to stand in the gap and make up the hedge, who have dared to go to the ballot box and vote your convictions. And God has looked on you and he said, I'm not going to destroy it for your sake. Do you remember when Abraham prayed, Lord, if you could find 50 righteous people down in Sodom and Gomorrah, would you please spare it? Yes, if I could find 50. How about 40? Yes, if I could find 40. 30, 20. Lord, if you could find 10, yes, I'd spare it for 10. For your sake, Abraham, they couldn't find 10. And so God gave the message. He heard the heart cry of Abraham. Abraham wasn't really praying for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. He was praying for his nephew, Lot. And God heard him. And God said, I'm going to spare Lot. For Abraham's sake. Lot has intermingled himself with all the de deviate, deviate behavior of those cities. And his children have intermarried. He didn't have any stand with his own family. And when he went out to warn them, he seemed like somebody was just mocking. They didn't believe him. And those angels that came to warn Lot, Lot had to draw them into his house, lest those wicked people of Sodom and Gomorrah take them out and sexually abuse them. And the next day, God spared Lot. What a wonderful picture of God taking his own 
out of a world of corruptness. This is not related to the message, but I can't help but say it. Beloved, when Jesus comes, when Jesus comes, he's going to take those who are his own out of this wickedness before Sodom and Gomorrah set in in the time of tribulation. That's called the rapture of the church. Lot was a foreshadow of that. And I will tell you, Lot was a far cry from being perfect. He was just a man of God. And we read about him in the New Testament as a Christian. You have to read in the New Testament because it doesn't seem like one in the Old Testament. My people have forsaken the Lord. And Jeremiah came along and said, and my people love to have it so. They like their movies and their X-rated films and their TV and all the trash they see and their pornography and the games at the mall. They like all that. They're enamored with it. They're attracted by it. They'd rather watch a ball game on Sunday than take a nap or write a letter or go visit somebody that's sick. They'd rather tinker with their machines and rather fool around with things that don't amount to a hill of beans instead of honoring the Lord's day from Sunday morning to Sunday night. My people love to have it so. And when they go to the polls, they remember their party line rather than their God line. My people love to have it so. Secondly, look in verses 11 through 15. They provoked the Holy One of God to Israel. That's in verse 4. But look in verses 11 through 15. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts and the delight. I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When you come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths the called assemblies, I cannot bear. It is iniquity, even the solemn meetings. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are in trouble. They are trouble with me, unto me. I am weary of bearing them. And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Yea, when you make your many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Now, what's he saying there? Is he saying he won't listen when we repent? No. He's saying you're playing church. You're singing little ditties you don't mean. You're going to the altar and making some kind of rededication and there's no change. You're making professions of faith and there's no heart change. You've got the same old heart and I'm through with it. Not only have my people forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, they have provoked the Holy One of God to Israel. Uh, the Holy One of Israel, they've provoked God because of their sins and their debauchery and their shallowness. You know, the best definition of being saved is the word C-H-A-N-G-E-D, changed. Beloved, let's examine our own hearts tonight. 
how are we different from the world? Now, you don't like this. I know you don't like it. God bless you. I love you anyway. How does it make sense that we would rather watch a ball game than go to church on Sunday night? Even if it's the Super Bowl? How does that make sense for a Christian? <laughs> it's just sort of funny. God must sit up there and laugh. The Lord shall laugh. He shall have them in derision. Psalm 2. And so some churches decide, well, in order to appease the crowd, we'll move the time of the service and set a big screen up here and we'll let everybody watch the game and go to church at the same time. It's on the Lord's day. God says, ha, ha, ha. Let's laugh at you. I'm not trying to lay on anybody legalism. I'm just saying when Jesus comes in, there's a change of affection. There's just a change. Homer Odehaver used to lead great congregations across America and singing, if your heart keeps right, if your heart keeps right, every cloud will wear a rainbow if your heart keeps right. But you can't have a heart that is right unless it's changed. And as we examine our own hearts, we've sat under great preaching this past week. Many of us have for years sat under great preaching and our heart hadn't been moved a bit. They provoked the Holy One of God to Israel. The Holy One of Israel. They provoked Him to wrath. They've played church. They've offered God substitutes. Look in your Bible at Matthew 23 for just a moment, will you? Turn your Bible to Matthew 23. These are the words of Jesus. <clears throat> Listen to what He says. In Matthew 23. Beginning in verse 13. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, neither permit them that are entering to go in. Verse 14. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers, therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. Verse 15. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, you may make him two, more, twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Verse 16, Woe unto you, ye blind guides, who say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by, swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. Ye fools and blind, which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold? Verse 23, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These ye ought to have done, and not to leave the other undone. That's one of the classic verses when Jesus endorses tithing. He said, now watch it. You've tithed meticulously the things that grow in your backyard even. Not only your income, but you were so legalistic, you tithed every little old thing that grew up in your backyard. I know some people like that. I don't know whether they tithe their flowers and stuff like that, but they're pretty legalistic about it. But he said, you've omitted the weightier matters of love and justice and godliness and graciousness. He said, these you ought to have done. Don't leave the other undone. Do both. 
Verse 25, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup of the, and of the platter, but within are full of extortion and excess. Verse 27, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you are like whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Verse 29, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you have built the tombs of the prophets and garnished the sepulchers of the righteous and say, if we had been in those days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, ye are witnesses against yourselves that you're the sons of them who killed the prophets. And that's exactly what they did to Jesus, same generation. They have provoked the Holy One uh, of God to, of, to Israel. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel. They played church. Thirdly, and last, they've gone away backward with their faces toward the Lord. <clears throat> Isn't that interesting? What a way to describe what's happened to God's people. And I want to say, what, what I'm saying relates to God's people in America. Whether Americans like it or not, the Hindus and the Buddhists didn't settle America. And I'm not against them, I love them. We ought to try to win them to Jesus. It was God-fearing, Christ-loving people that settled this nation and wrote into all these documents the faith of the Lord God. And this scripture says, what you've done, you didn't really, here's God out here, you didn't really turn and walk away from God like that. What you did was, here's God out here, you used to be close to him, and you went like this. You turned away, and you went away backward from him, so that you're far away, you're distancing yourself from him. You're distancing yourself from his word. You're distancing yourself from the principles of his word. And God says, that makes me sick. And I'm right on the verge of giving up on you. God allowed America to win World War I, World War II. There was a praying nucleus in America. Our chaplains taught the Word of God. We distributed Bibles and Testaments. All of our chaplains were related to the Christian faith. Now they say we're so pluralistic, they're appointing Muslim chaplains. I guess soon they'll appoint Buddhist chaplains and Hindu chaplains. We have a leader that says, let's open the gates of the military to the homosexuals. And that's one way we can lower the morale of our nation and of our fighting troops. And my people love to have it so, so they go to the polls and vote for those men. God help and God forbid, forgive. Well, what do we do about all this? 
Notice in verse 28, the prognosis. Verse 28, chapter 1 of Isaiah, and the destruction of the transgressors and of the sinners shall be together, and they that forsake the Lord shall be consumed. This is speaking of hell. The nations that forget God shall be turned into hell. That's what God's Word says. The prognosis, there's judgment ahead, judgment ahead, judgment ahead, judgment ahead, judgment ahead. When I was a young boy, my dad used to take the family to Raywick, Kentucky, up in Marion County. We went often. There was a Kelly family we used to visit there that, where my grandfather practiced medicine. He was a doctor. One time when we were going, we hadn't been for a while, we started up this road and there was somebody out there crying and waving a flag and we didn't pay any attention because we thought maybe he's drunk and we just went on. And pretty soon there was another person waving a flag and, and we didn't pay much attention. Finally, after a while, somebody got out in front of the road, up, up, up maybe half a mile, in front, in front of the road and just waved his hand and stood there. We'd have to hit him if we didn't stop. And we stopped just this far from a place where the highway bridge was over another road and that bridge had fallen and had we gone another few feet we would all have been dead. There are warnings being placed right now and you can just shove off what I'm saying to you tonight and you can just say this is the raving babble of somebody that's gone goofy concerning these things. You can say that. I don't care what you say. But I'm warning you, God is warning you. He's giving us another opportunity as a nation. He's giving us as believers the opportunity to be salt and light in a very dark world. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. That means as long as you're here, make yourself known for your convictions and what you believe is right. Don't cave in to the world, the flesh, and the devil. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A very perverse darkness has come across. There's a terrible cloud across America of, of spiritual darkness. And Jesus said, you're a light. Let that light shine. Men don't put their light up on a hill and then put it under a bushel so nobody can see it. They let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Let it shine in the ballot booth, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine in the ballot booth, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Shine all over Bowling Green, I'm going to let it shine. Shine all over Bowling Green, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. And you sing this one with me. Let it shine till Jesus comes, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine till Jesus comes, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. But you can't let the light shine if it isn't inside. It's not going to come out unless it's inside. Are you sure you're saved? Are you positive 
your name is written in heaven. If so, let that light shine. If not, come to Christ tonight. May we pray. Our Father, we thank you for the glorious freedom we have in Christ. Thank you that I believe there's a people of God here that don't love to have it so. We don't like what's going on. Help us to stand against the tide, to stand against the winds and the hurricanes and having done all to stand. Lord, I pray that as we go out this week, we'll take stands against the world, the flesh, and the devil, the world and all of its whims, the flesh and all of its feelings and weaknesses, and the devil and against all of his stratagems. And may we let the light of Jesus shine forth from us. And those in this place tonight who are not saved, oh God, draw them to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. The word picture of that great song is not that Jesus wants to pass anybody by, but we're standing there saying, Lord, I need you. I need your strength in a dark time. I need the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. Don't pass me by. Give me that light. Give me that spiritual power. Give me that spiritual authority. Lord, I need it. I need it so desperately. And if we'll ask him, he'll give. You have not because you ask not. But when we ask, he said, I'll give freely. As we sing this, do what God's Holy Spirit has led you to do with the message. Maybe you can settle it right where you stand. Maybe you need to come to the altar and pray. Maybe there's somebody who needs to rededicate your life to Christ. Maybe there's somebody here tonight who needs to be saved or to move your membership or to follow the Lord in baptism. Do whatever God tells you to do. And having done all, stand. May we sing together.